everyone, welcome to Brains, Black Holes, and Beyond, a collaboration podcast between the Princeton Insight Newsletter and the Daily Princetonian. From the Prince, my name is Sena Eldevash. My name is Katerin Shavdia. Today's guest on the show is Dr. Cameron A. Mirvold, an assistant professor in the molecular biology department. Dr. Mirvold got his bachelor's at Princeton in molecular biology before going to Harvard for his PhD in systems biology. He did his postdoc in Harvard and MIT before coming back to Princeton in January of 2021, where he now runs his own lab, which develops CRISPR-based technologies for studying viral and host RNA, as well as detecting and destroying viral RNA. Dr. Mirvold, thank you for joining us. Thank you. So our first question is more of a general interest question, but how did you choose molecular biology and specifically CRISPR-related research as a field you wanted to pursue? That's a great question. So uh, when I was a sophomore at Princeton, I was actually trying to figure out, you know, what to major in, um, as I'm sure many of you who are listening now are. And um, initially, I came into Princeton thinking that I was more interested in physics. Um, but then I started taking uh, classes. In particular, I took the integrated science curriculum um, here at Princeton. And, and it was that really kind of taught me that there were so many more like new unanswered questions in biology, whereas a lot of the stuff in physics I was learning, you know, was from like the 19th century or the early 20th century. Um, and so I just got a lot more excited by all these unsolved problems in biology. And so that's what kind of shifted in my mind. And then I realized, hey, that's really what I want to pursue, you know, going forward. Um, now, by the time I graduated Princeton, so in 2011, um, you know, CRISPR really wasn't that big of a thing. It wasn't until 2012 that there was the, the kind of major breakthroughs um, by Jennifer Doudna and Emmanuel Charpentier um, that really kind of uh, kick-started the field. So, you know, in graduate school, I got really excited um, by synthetic biology um, and kind of was pursuing that for a while. Um, but then I saw what was happening, you know, in the CRISPR field and kind of how revolutionary it was. And right as I was wrapping up my PhD, there was a new CRISPR protein that was discovered, which at the time was called C2C2. It's now called Cas13, uh, which was the first sort of RNA-targeting CRISPR effector protein. Um, and so then I saw that, and I was like, wow, this is really exciting. There's a lot of potential here to use this as a tool to study RNA in lots of different settings. Um, and so when I was looking at labs you know, to do a, to a postdoc, and I really got excited about the possibility of kind of working in, in that space and, and working with this newly discovered you know, protein. That's awesome. Um, so we had a question specifically about one of your papers. Um, we saw one of your studies that discussed using something called like microfluidic combinatorial arrayed reactions for multiplexed evaluation of nucleic acids, which M. Carmen, a lot easier mm -hmm. to pronounce, <laughs> um, to diagnose up to 21 viruses, including COVID. Um, could you talk to us about what M. Carmen is and how you went about conducting this research? Yeah, definitely. So the M. Carmen story really starts a few years earlier when we were developing the kind of original Carmen um, technology. And the inspiration for that was basically that whenever you go to get tested, you know, um, at hospitals, they're typically testing for like one thing at a time. So you might get like a TB test or a strep test or a flu test or something like this. But um, there's really not a lot of testing for you know, multiple things at a time. And we, we sort of felt like there was an important gap to be filled there um, to enable things like disease surveillance, but also to test for unknown infections where you don't really know what's making someone sick. And so you want to test for a whole bunch of things at once. And so um, that's kind of what originally inspired us. Um, we sort of did that using this uh, droplet-based, you know, um, approach, um, which was the sort of original Carmen technology, and, and that was really exciting. And we were able to demonstrate, you know, lots of uh, detection of, of 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 more than a hundred, you know, different viruses at a time. Um, but that technology had some key limitations, namely that it relied a lot on kind of custom um, equipment and 
um, the protocol was not very easy for people to use. And so uh, we realized that that was going to be a major bottleneck in terms of, you know, the technology really getting used more widely. Um, and at the time, you know, the, the Carbon paper came out in like May of 2020. At the time we realized, oh my goodness, there's this huge need for something that is, you know, um, that can actually be scaled and, and used more widely, but that has similar principles as the original kind of Carmen technology. And so that's where the idea for mCarmen really came along. We sort of figured, hey, I wonder if we can use an existing um, like microfluidic platform, um, which was made by a company uh, called Fluidime. They're now called Standard Biotools, but it's basically um, it, the, the platform consists of these um, integrated fluidic circuits that allow you to take a series of inputs like different samples and then, you know, um, in the case of mCarmen, different CRISPR RNAs to kind of probe those samples for the presence or absence of different, you know, pathogens. And so that was very much in line with this original Carmen vision, but um, it was using kind of the, the Fluidime to help uh, make that a possibility. And so um, with mCarmen, we were able to greatly simplify the protocol to something that could be conducted in a clinical lab. Um, and also develop not only a respiratory virus panel, but also a panel detecting uh, viral variants, uh, which became really important as Omicron spread through Massachusetts um, back in December of last year. So, what are some future implications for your research? Do you think M. Carmen and some other technologies we developed or co-developed, like Carver and Shine, could be used to treat COVID and other viral infections, or are they intended as solid detectors of viral RNA? You know, that's a great question. I, I view them as two sides of the same coin. So um, we, as COVID showed us, we really do need to get better at, at doing testing and testing for lots of things. Um, and so that's what, that's why we think that detection is such an important part of the problem. We need to kind of catch um, these pandemics before they spread to everybody. Um, but I'm also really excited about um, Carver, which was the more uh, antiviral therapeutic um, technology that we developed. Um, and actually recently started to commercialize. So I co-founded a company um, last year that's trying to commercialize um, Carver. It's called Carver Biosciences is the company. Um, and the idea there is can we actually take that approach and, and really develop it into um, a drug um, that could be used against a variety of different you know, RNA viruses that infect people, such as influenza or, or SARS-CoV-2 or, or various other RNA viruses. Um, so what are the next steps in your research? I know you kind of touched up on this with um, Carver, but what are you currently working on and what do you hope to accomplish? Yeah, that's a great question. So I think, um, you know, what, I, what about half of my lab does is really building on the work that I did as a postdoc. So continuing to push the forefront uh, on the nucleic acid detection, you know, side of things. There's so many different applications there and so many different pathogens we want to be able to detect. You know, things like tuberculosis or monkeypox or um, influenza that, that we really hadn't dove into as much back when I was a postdoc. Um, and then I'd say the other half of the lab is really um, investigating new areas, kind of developing new technologies. And those are very kind of early stage, so it's hard to say where those are going to go, but I'm really excited there because, you know, when I started the lab, I really felt, and I still do strongly feel, that Cas13 has this kind of broader potential than just detecting and destroying nucleic acids. I mean, that's what I focused on previously, but um, it's really a way to direct Cas13 to RNA, and that could be any RNA inside of a cell, outside of a cell, what have you. So there's a lot more applications that I think are just beginning to get explored. Our last question is more of a general ending question, but what is the most misunderstood thing in your field or misconception the general public may have about your field of study? Great question. <laughs> um, let's see. Um, yeah, I think... Probably the, the biggest misconception stems from 
you know, uh, a, a few years back when kind of CRISPR babies were in the headlines and, and all of that. Um, and so I think that there is this kind of uh, misconception that CRISPR is all about, you know, gene editing or genome editing. And while that's obviously a super important, you know, part of what CRISPR has done for biology, um, I think the technologies that have been enabled by, by CRISPR, and that's both Cas9, Cas13, all sorts of things, um, go well beyond just making, you know, edits to, to DNA or, or to RNA. Um, there's been an explosion of technologies for like enriching nucleic acid sequences for imaging and all sorts of other things. And I think that's kind of underappreciated by the general public because the headlines are so focused around, you know, editing and, 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 and you know, to the exclusion of all else, basically. Cool. Is there anything else you wanted to include in this um, podcast? Maybe like any advice for anyone listening or just like any other bit about CRISPR? Yeah. Um, Great question. I think, um, you know, one of the things that excites me about it so much, and, and I would encourage, you know, students who are thinking about research to, you know, kind of get involved. Um, this is, you know, people often think that you have to come in with all of this expertise to be successful at research. And really, particularly in a field like CRISPR, that's not totally the case. I mean, yes, you need to learn a lot. You need kind of that foundational knowledge, but it's also a pretty new field. And so, um, you know, people can often come in and, and make a really big you know, impact. Um, and that's particularly the case, you know, for interdisciplinary work, which I'm a huge fan of. So we do a lot of that in the lab, and I, I encourage people with all sorts of different backgrounds to, to consider, you know, research. Oh, awesome. Dr. Mirabold, thank you for joining us today. It was really awesome learning about your research, and best of luck with all your work. This episode of B-Cubed was hosted by me and Kitavan Shavdia, sound engineered by Oshilaher, and produced under the 146th Managing Board of the Prince. For more information about Dr. Mirabold's research, visit the links in the podcast episode's description. From the Prince, my name is Sena Eltabash. Have a great rest of your day.